All right, good morning, everybody. It's uh, it's good to be here. I wish everybody else was here. So another Sunday online, and um, won't be long. We'll be able to be back together again, and we're looking forward to that. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say the next time that we meet together, we're going to be in the new building. We've had some... You're getting close to the final inspections of things. We've got uh, some of the instruments have been moved over, and we're working on some of the uh, wiring and sound system stuff and all of those technicalities. And so it's exciting. But be, be, we appreciate your faithfulness in the Nehemiah Project and uh, the continual giving for that. But also we uh, appreciate your uh, tithes and offerings that you give to the Lord each uh, Sunday or each week. And so uh, exciting things happening uh, this week. Um, Wednesday night, we have our Bible study online with Pastor Scott. You don't want to miss that at 7 o'clock. You can watch that on uh, YouTube. And uh, usually we have information throughout the week that uh, tells you how to get to that. Uh, also, next Sunday, uh, it'll be Mother's Day, and we've got uh, some special things that we're going to bring forth for that. And then the next week, we're going to be recognizing our high school seniors. So we've got some neat things taking place. But we're glad that you're with us this morning. And let's just have a word of prayer as we uh, study uh, some of the book of Philippians together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this morning. We thank you that we can uh, be here at least in spirit, that you're with each one of us. But right now, uh, we just pray that your word will speak to us as we, we look at some of the things that uh, uh, we work through in our own lives, especially the stress that we're going to be talking about. And a, and a lot of times it's our selfishness. But Lord, we just pray that our hearts are open for what you have for us. And we just give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing the series on the book of Philippians and, and basically looking at it in terms of uh, stress. How do we handle stress? What kinds of stresses are there? And and today we're going to try to eliminate uh, I stress, talking about personal self-centeredness stress. And uh, I, I wonder how much of the stress that we, we face each uh, day or each week or each month or each year uh, comes from our own self-centeredness. Because at work, if you think about work, people are asking, uh, am I successful in my work? Uh, am I getting ahead? Uh, generally, in marriage, sometimes we're looking at it, am I getting my own way? Am I finding fulfillment? Uh, are my needs being met? As parents, we look at it in terms of, am I a good parent? Uh, are my kids going to make me look good? Um, and sometimes in the business realm, am I making an impact? Or a lot of times just in life, am I having fun? Or am I doing everything that people expect of me? So even in relationships, the hard part is sometimes it becomes all about me. And when people feel like they're being ignored or they're mistreated, a lot of times they cry out to be heard. But what's interesting in relationships is when two people um, want it their own way, they're going to butt heads. When people are insecure... Many times they try to manipulate other people to take their side, to get one side against another side. And that happens everywhere. It happens at home, at work, at school, and everywhere we might be. Um, so, it, so the hard part is, when it's all about me, it brings out eye stress. Now, in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he puts it this way. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come for your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. 
When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So we see that Philippians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, a church in which he planted, he started it, he knows the people well on there. He's in prison when he writes this letter. And in chapter 1, he talks about how he was handling his own personal stress. And then he starts addressing some of the things within the Philippian church. And you see, when we read the Bible, we must understand, try to understand the words in the original context. And so we see in this particular case, we, we try to, uh, what's often in the background, we, we figure it out by saying, what, why is Paul bringing up some of this stuff? So let's try and figure out what the context of this is. And if we start by reading Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and he says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Then flip over to chapter 2, and the first four verses there say this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now let's go over to one more verse, verse 14 of chapter 2. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So what's happening in the church? We see that there's some relational stress going on in the church. The church was not unified as it should. It seems that the people were arguing and complaining. But the cause of the relational stress was self-centeredness, it was selfish ambition, conceit. Basically, they were worried about themselves. I stress. So have we been in these similar situations? I mean, think about selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is, is, is power struggles. It's uh, wanting to be number one. It's kind of trying to promote your own self. We've got vain conceit, which is refusing to be corrected. It's not listening to ideas. It's sometimes looking down on people that maybe are different. Um, then we have people seeking their own interests. Getting caught up in their own thing rather than looking at the interests of other people. Complaining and arguing. Basically saying, it's all about me. Basically saying, I'm the most important. I need to build up my ego. I need to take care of me. I need to be in charge. I need to make my pain heard. Basically, I want people to worship the ground I walk on. That's what they're saying. I stress. So how do we fix this? How do we fix this stress that, that's selfish? Well, let's keep reading in our, in our passage. Let's go back and read verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. So we say, sure. Okay, that's pretty exciting. But how do we do that? Because you see, the roots of the I problem are deep within people. 
Self-centeredness and even conceit may be rooted in insecurity. Or it might be the fear of not getting our needs met. Or in some ways, it might just be plain old pride. And it might be pride because the world cannot revolve around you and me at the same time. There are power struggles. There's conflict. And so without addressing the root of the problem, nothing is going to change. Now, more than that, doing what the Apostle Paul tells us to do carries some risks with it. Because in our own minds, if we don't put ourselves first, um, we might be thinking others are going to take advantage of us. Or if we consider the interests of others as much or more than our own, then my own needs are going to be ignored. So if you think about it, what Paul is suggesting here in some ways does not make a lot of sense. Unless, unless God is in the picture. So when Paul addresses the eye stress that's going on in this church at Philippi, he begins with Jesus. Now, if you go back and, and you re- were to read verses 1 through 4, he talks about being united with Christ. If we have any comfort from his love, if we are sharing in the Spirit, Paul's reminding them. And then he reminds them, it's almost like a praise song that they maybe like to sing. If you go over start with verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And in some ways, this translation might be a little misleading because Jesus did not become nothing. He could not become nothing. I mean, he was still the son of God. He was still loved by his father. In fact, Jesus had a strong sense of who he was and what he was called to do. So I think a better translation might be that Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself as rights of his rights as God. He emptied himself of the glory and worship of heaven. He emptied himself of seeking his own will. And he was living for others. And so the I does not appear. We don't have an I problem when we give our life to God. The I is yielded to the will of the Father. Now, Jesus was not afraid. I mean, he was God. He was not afraid to say, I am. That was making a huge claim for himself because he was the Messiah. He was Christ. But Jesus' earthly life and ministry was not about seeking his own interests, but instead seeking the interests of others. That's what made his impact so powerful. His ambition was huge. But he was not self-centered. His confidence was very inspiring. But he was not conceited. Jesus sometimes caused conflict and stress, but it was probably because of some injustice or sin that was going on. Jesus served others, and he willingly submitted to some of the most demeaning treatment for the sake of other people. 
So how did Jesus do that? Jesus trusted his father. Jesus could take the risk of putting the interests of others above himself because he trusted that his father would take care of him. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus was hanging helplessly on the cross, the mockers in the crowd summed up what it was all about. And in Matthew 27, 43, it basically says, he trusts in God. Some of them said, let God rescue him now if he wants him. He said, I am the son of God. You see, the mockers did not understand Jesus could only hang on the cross because he trusted God to raise him from the dead. And you see, we will never fix our eye problem until we are secure in our trust in God. We obey God because we trust his commands. We give our lives to serve because we believe that God's going to reward us. And that's why Paul tells the Philippians not to be selfish or conceited. And he reminds them in verse 1 of who they are in Christ and how that affects them. He says, if you are united with Christ, if you get any comfort from his love, if you enjoy the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So the answer to the eye stress problem is, are you united with Christ? You know, we talk about accepting Christ as our Savior from our sin and guilt. And that's a good thing to do. But how does that affect us? Because the Lord who takes over our lives, our goals, hopefully are His goals. Hopefully our actions are what He would want us to do. And any setbacks that come to us are only temporary because we win in the end. So taking comfort in Christ's love, that's what we got to do. When we take comfort in God's love, insecurity is gone. God says we are okay. He says we don't have anything to prove because the God of the universe loves us and he cares for us. And then he talks about in the fellowship with the Spirit. It's hard to describe that. You see, God touches, at, touches us at our deepest and most needy and self-centered points. God puts thoughts in our minds. God brings people into our lives, even today. And if you're a Christian, these things are true of you, at least to some degree. And that's why it's so surprising that as we continue on in our, our study of this second chapter of Philippians, Paul goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So what's Paul saying? Is he saying we've got to work to get into heaven? He's not saying that. You've got to remember the context. 
He says we are united with Christ. We are secure in the love of God. We have fellowship with the Spirit. He's saying we're going to heaven. We are saved. But you see, salvation is not just getting into heaven. I mean, if we, if we think about some of the, the laws in the Old Testament, a lot of that was for their own health and safety. But when we get to heaven, life is going to be perfect. But until we get there, we are a work in progress. So remember the context. Paul is talking to these people at Philippi about their relationship within the church. In heaven, all of our relationships are going to be perfect. But obviously, we're not in heaven right now. But Paul tells us to continue to work out your salvation. Work out the implications of who you are in Christ. Work out the fellowship that you have together in the Spirit of Christ. So how does that work? He says it works with fear and trembling. Relationships matter is what he's telling us. We can't allow broken relationships to continue. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, he says, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. You see, it's that important. But it's not all up to us. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to work. You see, God gives you the motivation. God gives you the strength. God gives you what you need to make things better. So we need to trust him and do what we need to do. And so sometimes that's hard. But you know, when we are doing it, we are obeying God. When we are doing it, we are doing it in order to fulfill His purpose. So God is in this with you. 